Welcome to the Barbell Therapy and Performance Podcast, where we sit down and interview the top industry experts in the fields of rehab, fitness, and performance to give you the latest and most valuable information to help keep you at the top of your game. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Scott, physical therapist and strength coach. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and share the show so we can help others like you learn more. It would mean the absolute world to us. We hope you enjoy this episode, and thanks for tuning in. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in for the first ever episode of the Barbell Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Scott, and I am the owner of Barbell Therapy and Performance here in Lowell, Mass. Today is our first ever guest episode, and I'm very excited to have Matt Ibrahim on. Matt is the co-owner and director of strength and conditioning and internship coordinator at TD Athletes Edge in Salem, Massachusetts. He has been an invited guest speaker nationally in over 10 states, which was highlighted by his presentations at Google headquarters, Stanford University, Equinox, and Lululemon, in addition to guest speaking internationally in Milan, Italy. His professional work has been featured in men's health and men's fitness. Currently, he is finishing up his master's degree at Rocky Mountain University, which has a direct track into a PhD program in human and sport performance. You can connect with Matt on Instagram for training, performance, and professional development at Matthew Ibrahim underscore, and that is with an I. So Matt, thanks for coming on today. So big reason I'm having Matt on today is I think he's a great picture um, for a lot of people that reach out to me. I get a lot of students that aren't sure of doing physical therapy or if they should just be a strength coach, um, if they need to go to PT school. And I think Matt paints a great picture of the fact that you don't have to choose one. You can do both and you don't necessarily need to be a PT or a chiropractor or anything like that to help rehab people. So Matt, um, tell us a little bit of your story. Brett, well, hey man, thank you for having me on. I, you know, I really appreciate this and, you know, I look forward to hopefully, uh, you know, paying it forward and giving back any way that I can. And I think, you know, I, I can't imagine I'm alone uh, in saying that. You know, you get to a point in your academic career where you're saying, hey, you know, I probably need to get a job of some sorts. And especially if you're in the field of whether it's strength and conditioning, performance training, fitness, health, physical therapy, athletic training, chiropractic, massage, and, or, 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 or if you have ambitions to get into those type of fields, you, you realize, hey, you know, there's, there's kind of that turning moment of, okay, I need to start taking things a bit more seriously, whether it's in academia, whether it's professionally, with internships, experiences, um, you know, observations, working, whatever it may be. So I think, you know, that kind of <laughs> that moment hit me pretty hard early on. And I realized, you know what, I need to kind of shape up here. So um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very re- rewarding field, you know, especially if you enjoy, you know, human interaction, connecting with others and helping people really write their own life story with health, fitness, performance. And so for me, it's been rewarding, but I, uh, I enjoy it. It's, uh, it's something that I, I love to do. Yeah. So I want you to talk a little bit about kind of your course into kind of some of the failures you went through. Um, we know you tried to get into PT school a few times and that didn't work out. Um, so I wanted you to go, to go through that and how you ended up, you know, as successful as you are being able to do both and not necessarily becoming a PT. So what was kind of your track to get to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think like anyone else, Brett, I mean, you start off, you know, lifting weights and playing sports early on in high school and you're probably like, you know, this is kind of cool, but I'm not so sure there's a profession in this. And you just, I mean, at least in my case, my eyes weren't open, didn't do well academically. My grades were 
were really awful, to be honest with you. I didn't apply myself. Um, got into college, into a local uh, university. You know, it was a solid school. Um, and I spent the first year, year and a half in the College of Liberal Arts. So, you know, I just really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was messing around, but I was still working out, exercising, training, lifting weights, running, being active, playing hoops, just really, really kind of, you know, just being a meathead, if you think about it. And, um, and so that, that really opened my eyes to realize, you know what, this school that I'm going to has an undergraduate program for exercise and health sciences. And so I realized they had that. I got in. I passed some of the general courses pretty, pretty easily because they're general, they're simple, they're straightforward. However, I really got into a lot of stumbles and I got tripped up when it came to the sciences, um, chemistry, biology, anatomy, physics, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't apply myself. I didn't have great study habits. I didn't work hard enough academically. And I thought I could just breeze by. Clearly, that wasn't the case. So I ended up failing by you know, collegiate academic standards, you know, C minus or lower, but nonetheless, it's failing. I failed roughly 12 courses over the span of, you know, my entire undergraduate uh, tenure, if you will, which is six years, which I, I obviously know you're supposed to get it, get in and get out in four years. But like I said, I messed around and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so um, within all those failures and mistakes, I realized, you know what, I need to start taking things more seriously. So I began to retake a bunch of courses and I got better grades. But Looking back, obviously, it may have been a little bit too, you know, too late in the process. But I, I was too naive to understand that, and so I retook re a bunch of classes. I had, you know, I, I graduated. Um, I had applied. So in the last year of my, you know, six-year undergraduate degree plus the two years following, I had applied for five to five local doctor of physical therapy school uh, programs. Five of them locally uh, didn't get in for three years in a row to all five of them, um, but if you kind of take a, a fast forward real quick, if you, you know, if I look at it now, I, I was able and I was given the opportunity to later down the line in my, in my career path, speak professionally at three out of the five uh, schools that denied my acceptance. So I think the, the moral there is, I mean, there are so many avenues to take and there's so many ways to kind of quote unquote, get in or get your point across or get to where you want to get to. So I, I, I just think that it's important to understand whoever's listening that there isn't always just this simple linear approach to things. It's you have to have perspective, self-awareness, and really self-realization to understand, you know what, let me take a take a moment to take a step back, take a bird's eye view at things and realize, you know, every, my path is going to be unique to someone else's. And so it's not going to be the same. It's really unlikely. It's highly unlikely for that to happen. So um, to, to go back into the story now, you know, I, I wasn't getting in, but you know, by that time, you know, so I'm, un, I'm out of undergraduate, my, my undergraduate degree. I got my bachelor's. Um, I, during that time I had already done an internship at Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning in Woburn, kind of a, one of the meccas of, of, of the SNC field. I got my ass handed to me during an internship. I learned a ton. I was super green though. Um, I had immense, I had, you know, put myself in a ton of situations though at that point, whether it was in, you know, strength and conditioning facilities, performance training facilities, high schools, colleges, you know, uh, personal training studios, your general fitness centers, PT clinics, you know, sports medicine clinics, like hospital settings, senior citizen settings, training people in my garage, like, I mean, you name it, I did it, like at fields or what have you. So the one thing that that provided me with now looking back at it is that, you know, Brett, I was able to work with and communicate with and coach and train 
athletes and people and human beings from all different, you know, sections of life, backgrounds, skill sets, abilities, ages, goals. I mean, I was training 10 year old kids. I was training, you know, 45 year old moms and I was training, you know, 75 year old. Um, I'm not going to call them senior citizens, but they're older, more experienced folk. And so it was, you know, I was working, working with them as well. So not just training, but being a rehab aide. So I had become a PT rehab aide at the time during my undergraduate degree for the last couple of years of it, while I was also simultaneously training and coaching clients. And so, um, you know, it was a breath of fresh air for me to learn those things and understand how I could utilize, you know, the sports rehab lens and the communication and collaboration, if you will, with great sports rehab pros, clinicians, PTs, chiros, massage therapists, ATCs, doctors, how I could work in accordance with them. So I didn't realize that till after though. I, I, you know, I got, I became a PT rehab aide because, you know, every DPT program tells you you need to do it for 30 hours or whatever. Maybe it's changed at this point, but, um, you know, I, I had applied for so many for so long that I, you know, I kind of memorized what the requirements were, but I'm a little out of the game now, but, um, you know, after realizing I, didn't, I, I wasn't going to get in, after the third year, I had some sports rehab knowledge, but primarily speaking, I'm, you know, I was an AMA strength coach, but I had that lens, and, and, I, and I was, my goal was to utilize that to enhance my skill set as a coach, to think more cerebrally and critically on the training floor, to understand how to not only properly progress and regress, regress or lateralize a movement or an exercise, but also understand how to utilize, you know, critical thinking skills and coaching skills on the floor when, you know, there's a heat of a moment, it's high pressure and you have to make a really, uh, you know, if you think about like a, like a clinical decision of someone's or, you know, orthopedic joint health, right? And so obviously I'm, I'm utilizing this skill set in the realm of a strength coach, having a little bit of the background, but also knowing and respecting the guide, the lines of, you know, professionalism. Obviously I, I'm not going to be at this point, you know, I was only a strength coach. I'm not going to be performing any sort of manual technique or, or, you know, anything that's out of my scope as a strength coach. Um, but at that point, I was like, you know what? I would really like to get some sort of licensure to provide me with the ability to, you know, use this knowledge uh, and this background with a sports rehab lens to be able to actually provide some sort of sports medicine, sports rehabilitative um, service um, to, you know, to go along with me as a strength coach. And so I, I went to licensed massage therapy school. Oh, man, I got that. Uh, it was a year-long program. It was part-time. I was still strength coaching and training clients. Um, I got that a few uh, – 2016, I got that. And so I'm still licensed to this day. Um, I ended up I, – once I got licensed, I spent one full year part-time strength coach, part-time you know, manual therapist. And I truly was doing part-time of each, like 20 hours, 20 hours a piece each. And you know, that kind of was my quote-unquote full-time job. And I realized after the year had come up, um, you know, I was like, you know what, I enjoy providing, you know, that short term manual relief, but my go-to was, is, and, and has always been like, let's load this shit. Like let's, let's lift some weights mm-hmm. and let's do, let's do so in a very strategic, cerebral, you know, critical thinking manner so that we're properly dosing appropriate loads where, you know, we're put we're putting the athlete in a great position to become successful from a joint loading standpoint, from an overall workload standpoint, from a volume management standpoint, just from a, I mean, you look at just (laughs) some of the best strength coaches are stress managers. That's how I view it. So how do I properly manage the workload and stress being, you know, disposed upon this, uh, you know, being placed on this athlete over over the long term? So how do I do that? And so 
you know, I'll provide a, you know, a quick 15, 20 minute manual therapy technique. And then I'm like, Hey, like let's load it up through some quote unquote corrective exercises. But you and I both know exercise is exercise. It's movement. It's movement. It's the same stuff. You were just moving around, loading some tissues and joints and providing some tolerance and durability to some areas that may be impacted or affected at the time. We're, we're training is what we're doing. Right. And so it's all kind of the same in my mind. And so I was realizing, well, I'm always going back to this. I wasn't performing one hour manual therapy sessions. I wasn't doing that. And I was so, I'm like, nope, that's not for me. Like if you want to get a restorative Swedish massage, like go down the street, like by all means get it. Like, you know, I think there's some great, you know, massage therapists down there. They can take care of you, but I'm just, I'm here working in a PT clinic kind of in an assisting role to the PTs from a manual therapy standpoint, but then training and coaching and, 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 you know, training these athletes and clients. So it was a unique role. I enjoyed it at the time. I love the team I was, I was with at Boston PT and wellness and uh, love those guys. And so I realized though, you know, it, it was time for me just to put back on the coaching hat. And so, but I think I had to go through it to understand you know what? It may not be for me. Uh, you know, I enjoy it, but I enjoy coaching and, and you know, programming and coaching athletes much more, and educating and teaching, and you know, that to me is much more fitting. And I know I can be much more effective for our, our you know, the population that I work with. So it took some learning and going through it to feel, to realize that, and that was that was good for me. It was healthy, but you know, I'm in a, I'm in a lucky position position now where I'm fortunate enough to have. Um, built strong relationships with many local clinicians, doctors, PTs, chiros, massage therapists, ATCs, to the point where if we have clientele or you know locally or, or or maybe let's say a little further away who reach out and looking for those type of sports rehab, physical therapy, manual therapy type services, we have resources, we have referral, we have a network. So I just use that. And so um, that's been helpful. And then obviously in-house where we work, we work now in Salem in the North Shore, we have, um, you know, there's some collaborative team efforts in-house from a, you know, clinical and sports medicine standpoint as well. So um, it's been cool, you know, performing some of the manual therapy and, you know, being a manual therapist at one point. And, you know, like I said, I'm still licensed, but I just don't use it on a week-to-week basis anymore. I'm, I'm pretty much strictly a coach now. And I, I, I still have the lights to pay for it. You know, you never know down the line, I may need it again. But um, I just know that for me, I think my, my, my greatest asset is, is coaching and teaching and educating. And I, and I can provide a much better product that way. Um, I think manual therapy, you know, there's, there's a ton of research out there now. And obviously, there's a ton of, um, I guess, maybe you call it tug of war in the field of, I guess, physical therapy, sports rehab and medicine it's not bad i think it's healthy debate that you know is manual therapy effective is it not and i guess the way i look at it is like well if you yourself as a provider find it useful and valuable and you know you you enjoy providing it then hey you know what more power to you who am i to judge and alternatively if you as the the athlete the patient the client the human being receiving the manual therapy treatment find value in it and you know you enjoy it then hey again more power to you i'm not here to judge it's not my that's not that's not my job but i think if i were to take my perspective on it i know that you you receive the most you know you think about stress changes to stress adaptations through loads and so yeah sure if we if you want to administer some sort of 
I guess, short-term, quick in and out manual therapy technique. And when I say manual therapy technique, I'm not just talking hands. I'm talking, I mean, you and I, you and I both know, Brett, there's dry needles, there's cupping, there's, there's hands-on manual, there's, there's stim. There, there's so many variations. In it. Oh, yeah. Truthfully, it's, it's not my place to speak on that. I'm, I'm not a, cl- a clinician. But, you know, I look at it like, hey, look, I try to stay up with the research as best I can, keep things as, as evidence-based as I can. But also knowing that you have to add some real-world application and experience in the trenches knowledge to kind of combine the two. So me personally, I do find, yeah, sure, short-term, quick in and out, manual therapy value, great. But it has to be loaded up like afterward. You have to combine that with loading, exercise, training, lifting weights. Like you have to do resistance training. You have to do that. And so otherwise it won't be as effective. So to me, that's how I view it. Again, that's my personal view. I would never bestow that upon anyone. I, I, I'm not, <laughs> I am not the, the gatekeeper, if you will, and, and I'm not a clinician. So I, I think you know, it has its place in time, but I think the biggest piece of pie you should be eating is, is loading and lifting and training. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think some of the big questions are, you know, looking back on it for you, um, do you still see a need or – you know, do you have any regret about not getting into PT school? And do you think PT school would have helped you any more than your experience did? And like, you know, I think, you know, you've had a ton of experience, like you said, like you went out, you put yourself in basically every situation you could to get that experience and learn. And, you know, I think you do a good job on reflecting on things yourself. And it's part of why you've gotten to where you are today. But, you know, Looking back, what do you think? Do you think you could have benefited from PT school anymore? Or do you think at this point, just through your experience and networking with people and stuff like that, that you can do just as good a, a job as a PT? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I've thought about that you know, several times over the past few years since after being denied so many times. I guess initially I was pissed off. I mean, I, I have to imagine any human being would be to some extent. So I was pretty bullshit, you know. I was like, "Hey, man, like, what the, you know, what the f? Like, I, I'd love to be able to get in. I mean, how don't you see the, the work I'm putting forth? Like, I, I don't I understand how you don't see this." And so, I guess part of it initially, I was pretty pretty pissed off and saying, "You know what? Like, you know, what the hell? Like, I want to get in, and you know, they're losing out. It's not me." And you know, that was obviously being stubborn and naive, and obviously not level headed. But looking back now, I, I don't have any regrets, and and I say that. Fully, I'm fully content with that now. Being probably uh, about five, four to five years removed from the application process, and so um, I don't have any regrets, Brett. I, I think that you know you you get put on your own individual path, and there's a reason for that. And so I don't know if I would have been as hungry and as driven as I am now, and would have sought out all of those opportunities that I was so fortunate to have. If I had gotten in, I don't know if I would have done that. I mean, who's to say? I, I really don't know. I mean, do I think, I mean, obviously it would have made, it would have made me a better clinician and maybe I, I would have had other opportunities here or there in, in a variety of different settings or directions. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to like, like you had kind of alluded to and, and kind of we're talking about is reflect, right? Like look back and say, Hey, you know what, what if I don't have those, what if moments, I don't have those regret moments. Oh, well, I wish I could have. I really don't. I'm super fortunate, man. I'm, I'm surrounded by a great staff, great team, awesome, you know, people that I am so fortunate to be a, you know, teammate of. And I work with every day. We have great staff, mate, great staff, great teammates, great interns, love our community, love the people we work with. And, you know, I, 
I really do mean it when I say I enjoy coming. I, I enjoy coming to the facility. I mean, even on my, even on my off days, I'll come in and I'll lift a, 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 alongside you know our clients and our athletes in our community because I love being here. I love being on the people. I I know you know I, I realized early on that as much of a passion as I have for you know SNC training, exercise science, kind of the nerdy the 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 I'm sorry the nerdy geeky stuff of the science and the training application stuff. I love that stuff. I, I, I'll have a convo any day. I realize what I thoroughly enjoy a bit more is the human interaction side, the level of connectedness you have with your athletes. Like, how do you properly meet them at the level where they're currently at? Then take that shift their focus a bit, kind of steer it in a direction that you want to have them kind of drive in where you're helping to empower, build self-efficacy, build their, you know, intrinsic motivation, how they feel about themselves, their confidence, their, their thought in their mind of, wow, like I can do this. I have the ability. I have the skill set to do it. And I'm not talking about like, you hear the term a lot, like teddy bear training, like, oh, well, you know, let's, Let's make it easy for them. Let's spoof it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about simply helping guide, coach, teach, educate them to the point where you're helping to provide the tools necessary to achieve X, Y, and Z goals, but you're also giving them the tools so that they can, you know, long-term do it themselves. You empower, you give them the strength, right? Yeah. So from a phys- physiological and as well as psychological standpoint. I'm not talking about being, you know, a psychologist. I mean, there are professionals who do that. But I think the simple way to go about it is just using proper language, communication, and, and, and key terms. It's not this crazy, you know, well, you know, you have to follow this 10-step process. Like, it's, I don't look at it. I look at it like there's a human being in front of you. Yeah. And that human being has a different background. They've been through different shit, right? They have different stressors in their life right now. And they have different goals. How do I kind of morph into a role where I'm meeting them where they are and then helping them to where they want to get to? And then how do you do that for 175 plus clients? Like, how do you do that? So I'll tell you one thing, it's not easy. And, you know, that's probably the hardest thing that I have to work on every single day being the director here is I have to make sure I, I check in with every single person that walks through this door, client, athlete intern, staff member, you know, associated uh, clinicians nearby. Like that's my goal. That's something I, that's the standard I hold myself to every day, kind of the bar I set. And so if I don't do that effectively at a high level, then I'm not doing my job. And so, you know, it's taken me some time, but it's, it's not an easy thing, but you have to work on it. Yeah. So what I kind of want to go back to now is, um, you know, looking at a lot of students kind of looking at this different perspective um, of how to get into the field or which field to choose and looking at your experience and even mine where you've been on both sides of the ball. You know, I currently do half rehab, half coaching, performance, fitness, whatever, um, you know, and, and things have changed over time in the fields and stuff too. So just with your experience doing both, how much manual therapy, because I think, you know, how much manual therapy would you even do these days? Because, um, I think a lot of students go into like PT and stuff and they see what goes on in like a typical traditional clinic. Um, and they want to be able to put their hands on patients. And, you know, when I was in school, it was like everyone wanted, everyone wanted to be the best manual therapist and this and that. And I think that's a great aspiration to have. Um, however, even as I've evolved as a clinician, um, and a coach, there's a lot of things you start to realize. 
Um, and I don't know how much place manual therapy really does have anymore. I mean, I still use it. Um, I, I frame it in a certain way for individuals, but in reality, like you said, like we have to load things, uh, at the end of the day, I am tending to go more and more away from manual therapy, um, as we get deeper into what, you know, movement and exercise can do. So, you know, I know you're kind of practicing just as a coach now and and utilizing other people. Um, but you know, how much would you think you would use if you were to still be a clinician or, or how much, um, how much of the importance is manual therapy? Because I, I think that's the only big difference really between a coach at this point and a PT, uh, at least in the sports and fitness realm, is we can put our hands on people and maybe we have a little bit of a deeper academic background to understand maybe why something is happening um, or the severity of you know certain injuries and stuff. But you know I don't think there's that much difference anymore. So what's your take on that? It's a great point. I mean, to be quite honest with you, you know, I would say very, very, very little, and in some cases, none. And again, this is my personal thoughts. I, I think that, you know, when, you, when we talk about manual, I also think like some of the best manual therapy is a fist bump. Like, like give them empowerment, like fist bump, pat on the back, like great job. And, I, and I'm saying that in seriousness. I, I truly mean that because, you know, a lot of these people – in quote unquote pain or in discomfort, of course, of course, injuries, there's validity there. I by no means am I going to be the, uh, the pain science guru here. That's not my realm. It's not what I do. It's not my specialty. It's not even in my wheelhouse at all. It's not my skill set. You know, but I, what, I, what I will say is, I mean, I'm sure as you know, a lot of the, the, the pain science and all the, some, some of the backgrounds there is a lot of these things, if you use proper terminology, key terms, communication, you can really work your way through the majority of these things with also while appropriately loading. So then you have to ask yourself, Brett, where, if, if any place at all does manual therapy, you know, stand, honestly, for me, if I were to go back into it, it would be very little to none. I, I just know that if you can put athletes in, and when I say like, I mean like literally put them into position. Okay, great. Like let's go over a split squat, for example, right? I got someone in a split squat and, and, um, they're having some, you know, knee valgus, knees caving in, or maybe the knee's going way too far over the toes to the point where that, that front foot, the heel's coming off the ground, right? And they can't, the trunk stability is kind of off. They're not really getting it. Okay, great. Okay, great. Here's what we'll do. Let's do a, a split squat iso, isometric. Hold it. We obviously know isometrics provide, you know, that the analgesic effect for a body. It's a kind of a feel-good thing. Like, you provide durability in positions, right? Teach them isometrics and, and also utilize tempo and eccentrics. So that's kind of, those are kind of my big, big rocks, you know, slow people down, own positions, right? Positional capacity, you know, mastering positions is so key. So slowing them down first, right? How does that feel? Oh, it actually feels a little better. Okay, great. Let's do that. Instead. Okay. Keep you know doing what? it. <laughs> Say again. Yeah, keep doing it, right? Also like the whole knees over toes thing. Okay, great. Um, you know, my knee doesn't feel good in the bottom of the split squat. And when I hold it, you know, a bottom, so hold the split squat, ice at the bottom, knees a couple inches off the ground. That doesn't feel too great. Okay, great. Bring your knee up literally one inch. Oh, it feels great. So you just change some shit around, man. It's, I, I don't view it as this, well, oh, let me get my hands on that. No, like change positions, right? Change tempos, change durations, you know, fluctuate between different loading schemes, whether it's, you know, high volume, low intensity or vice versa. Play around with stuff. Like if you play around with load through a variety of, of settings and, and, and way to understand it, there's so many options. And the other thing too is, 
if you have a client who literally loves hands-on, they love like manual therapy, they love stuff. I'm like, all right, here's a foam roller. Like, <laughs> knock yourself out. Like, is there any research to say foam rolling is bad? No. Is there any research to say that foam rolling is phenomenal for you? No. Is there research to say that, yeah, well, it may be slightly helpful, quote unquote, but then you have to load it up after? Sure, there might be some stuff out there. I, I'm not too versed in the current literature to know the answer to that, but I do know enough to know that, hey, look, if you're going to foam roll, do some soft tissue or self myofascial release, make it like really quick and let's get, let's get out of the bar. Let's get, let's get a dumbbell. Let's get a kettlebell. Let's get, let's get something moving here so that you can, you have that neurological, that open window. Let's go make an adaptation through load and stress. And so, you know, in the short of it, I honestly wouldn't really use that much. I mean, I guess you have to know the personnel as well. Like, if it's someone who is really reliant on it initially, like maybe, okay, a quick two, three minute, five minute thing on a quad. Okay, great. Now let's go lift weights. All right, sure. But over time, I'm going to like, you, like you're saying, educate. Sometimes you got to de-educate and then re-educate, but right overall provide education to say, hey, here's the current information out there in the science and the literature and the evidence on manual therapy. And here's the why. And here's how I practice whether it's your clinician or coach, and here's the reason why. And then overall, over time, slowly, we, you know, get away from it to the point where you're saying, hey, like, you know this exercise we're doing now? It's providing a very similar, if not better, input to the brain, to the nervous system, to then create some of those neurological and neuromuscular adaptations over time for you to, you know, quote, unquote, get out of pain, rid yourself of that nagginess, but also build strength, durability, and resilience for long-term health. And so I guess, I guess once they see that, they realize. And so that, that would be how I would do it if I were to, you know, go back to using that license. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking at that for you and myself, it's like you look at what a traditional physical therapy clinic has done. Like when I was in high school and college, you know, um, you basically come in as a patient and it's like, you know, we're going to do an eval and we're basically going to break you down and show you everything that's wrong with you. Um, And that's kind of what has been preached in school, even to me. And I don't know how much the curriculum has really changed since I've been out um, because it seems like the board exam is still very far behind on what the current literature and, and, you know, what's actually working in the fields is doing. So, um, you know, the more I coach and the more I rehab people as well and kind of continue through that spectrum with people, um, the more and more I realized that, you know, coaching and rehab are the same thing. It's just, where is that person? Where do we need to bring them to? And you know, I've had physical therapy sessions where this person just sat in the chair and like you said, like they talked to me about what they thought. And then it was like de-educating them and re-educating them on everything. And we didn't even get to, you know, a full movement assessment. It was just changing their mind about why they might be in pain and what they can do. And what are the positives of oh, hey, does it feel better at certain times of the day? Okay, like we have potential to get better here. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of it now is instead of, you know, as a coach, um, whether you're working with a high-level athlete or someone that's trying to rehab something that, you know, could be any spectrum of the fitness athletic piece, um, we need to kind of look at building these people up instead, giving them more confidence instead of, you know, just trying to do all this manual therapy stuff, like show them, they are resilient, they can adapt, they can improve, um, their pain can come down, um, and really rethinking that. So, um, you know, going on that, 
what do you think the biggest skills that are necessary is either a movement provider or a coach um, to work with someone? Communication is, I would say, paramount. Because if you have the science and the knowledge of the X's and O's of you know, the training application, the exercise science, the physiology, the kinesiology, the physics, that's cool. That's great, right? But, and you have to have that. But if you can't take that, right, put it through a filtering process that makes it you know, easy to understand, palatable, easy, easily, easy to apply so it's applicable to the end user being the athlete, the client, the patient, the human being in front of you then it's irrelevant, right? Like if I say to you, hey, Brett, like, you know, just lift that up, grip it tight and, and go for a walk, like, you know, Pharma Carry, for example, I would say more, more often than not, that client would pretty much understand what I'm talking about versus like, okay, great. What I want you to do is hold it really tight with the middle, the, you know, your fingers really grip tight, stand nice and proud, great posture, rib cage, like, okay, there's too much stuff. Like, let's just keep it simple, right? Like, don't speak over the head. Like, oh, you know, put your C7 over here, put your L, like, what are we talking about? Like, keep it simple. And so I think communicating at a high level, simple, effectively is really important, right? Getting, get out, be effective with them, know which coaching cue to use at which time with, with each specific human being. And that, that's important because we have all these great coaching cues and we, we want to communicate them, but also we want to do it at the right time with the right person, the right place and the right fit. So that, that's the big thing I would say, co- uh, communicating effectively. Um, also, just be a great human being, be compassionate, show empathy, uh, show that you understand where they're, where they're at, right? Like you want to relate to where they've been and where they're at and where they want to go in the best way that you can, obviously keeping integrity and professionalism at the forefront, but just be relatable, right? Be, be, be down to earth, be someone they, they don't mind, they'd like to get along with. And so don't, don't be so, don't take yourself so seriously, I guess I would say. Be flexible, right? Be a bamboo stick, bamboo don't break. Um, the last thing that like, you better give a shit about what you do. You really, you, you really should care about what you do and that sh- should ooze from you. That shouldn't be something you have to tell someone. It should be something that they know immediately when you're in the room. Okay. Yep. This person really cares about me, my goals, what I want to do, where I want to be, you know, how I want to get there. So I think if you can put all those pieces to the puzzle together, I think you put yourself in a great position to be a really good professional in either field, in the whole field in general, really. Yeah, and I think all of those traits are definitely very important to have. On if you know if you want to do rehab, if you want to do, you know, just be a strength and conditioning coach. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. And like you said, like going back to even just like cueing people. Um, you know, I used to think going through school, you know, kind of what was brought up is all these you know strength and conditioning principles of proper programming and pro- proper structuring of a program and proper exercise selection and this and that. And, you know, if you look now, like look at a lot of the best coaches, it's because they know how to communicate so well with their athletes. They know what that athlete needs um, and they know how to talk to that athlete. And everyone's different. Like you said, same with, um, you know, the rehab side. It's everyone has been through different things in their life and have different thoughts, beliefs, coping strategies, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's really being mindful, I think, of what you say, when you say it how you say it and always kind of constantly reflecting. And that's something I've really noticed, you know, in the past couple of years as I do more and more coaching is, you know, we have to reflect really well on what we say, because I think especially coming through PT school, there's this kind of naivety that people go through um, thinking because, you know, we have a degree and stuff 
everything we're going to do is going to work. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, like let's, let's come back and critically think about, you know, what we did or more so what we said and how we, how we can change that person's mind about something. Um, And for me, it's funny now because, you know, I coach a lot of athletes on the floor at the same time and stuff. And I'll see someone do something, you know, especially with like the weightlifting stuff where there's, you know, a lot of technique and stuff, but there's a lot of it that's mindset too. So it's like, I'll sit there and they look at me and I'm just kind of standing there looking at them and like, what? It's like, I'm just thinking about if I should say this or not, you know, is this the right time, the right place? Like, where are we? Um, and thinking of those things to really improve yourself as a coach or a clinician. I think those are, those are very powerful things, um, to kind of really hone a skill set, you know, regardless of where you're going to be, they're important on both sides and, um, you know, they're one in the same. I completely agree. I think that's a great way to put it. And, um, you know, I, I think another big thing um, that someone told me is, you know, if you had a really great coach, so, so if you're thinking about doing one or the other or trying to pick, you know, if you think back to a really great coach you had, do you remember like something they did and like some position they showed you or like something special they really said to you that kind of you brought with you through life? Um, like I know growing up, like I played football and stuff and um, my old coach had a ton of great things I've kind of you know, always remembered and kind of brought with me and kind of reflected back on through there. So, um, that's where I kind of wanted to go on that. And then, um, you know, I guess one of the last things I wanted to talk about here is, you know, if, if you're going to talk to someone that's pursuing a career as a PT or coach or both, you know, Matt, what is your, what is your two cents on what they should do or what they should kind of think about? I mean, if you're someone who's kind of in the middle of training and training and rehab, get experience in both realms. I mean, if you're, especially if you're, you're an undergrad, like you, let's say you're in, you're in high school or, or college, like, you know, go shadow, go shadow PT clinic, but shadow a few of them. Don't just shadow one and say, Oh yeah, that shit sucks. Like don't do that. Like I think that's, that, 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 that's the biggest thing you shouldn't do is you shouldn't just look at one lens, like go shadow three to five sports rehab, PT, you know, clinical settings, right? And then make sure they're all different. One's got to be sports rehab based. One can be, you know, maybe neuro. Maybe one's just, a, you know, your general, you know, run of the mill clinic, right? And then go shadow a bunch of training facilities, three to five training facilities. Go shadow a personal training facility. Go shadow, you know, a box gym. Go shadow a private training facility. Go shadow like a sports performance facility. Get enough information and observation in a variety of those realms, training and rehab, to understand, okay. It's not just black and white, you know, maybe there's some gray area in between where I can live and I can work and I can be. And so I think that's, the, that's important because you'll have a lot of people say, oh, I, want to, I want to be a strength coach or I want to be a trainer, right? And they'll come into the sports performance setting and say, oh, I don't really like this. It's not for me. Well, okay, great. But maybe you do better in a collegiate setting. Maybe you do better in a one-on-one personal training setting. Maybe you do better in a you know, I don't know, a group fitness class or whatever. Like, I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying that the options that are out there. So, um, and the same goes for PT, right? Or, or rehab or, or clinicians, like go in a variety of settings. So I think you have to kind of see it, observe it, be in, be in that setting for a little bit, even if through an observational, well, if, if, if you can observe good, but if you can intern even better or work even better, right? Do some of the things where you have some time under your belt, learn, be patient, uh, you know, take in information, once you've kind of been at the buffet and seen what's available and you've kind of tried a few things, 
they'll have a better idea of what, uh, I don't really like that. Or like, wow, like I love that. And then you can attack it from that angle. So that's what I would do. I mean, I know I was, I guess maybe someone could say my story had been unfortunate or, or very unorthodox and probably it, it is unorthodox, but I wouldn't call it unfortunate. I mean, I, I've been so lucky to be in so many settings and, and variety of environments that I've, I've been able to learn. So I was able to say, you know what, I don't like being here or doing that, but that helps me to understand now what I really love doing and where I want to be. So I needed that to help shape and mold that for me. Yeah, I agree. And I think the biggest thing for people out there thinking about one or the other um, is the experience. You know, everyone thinks you go through PT school and you just learn all this stuff in a classroom and you do a couple of clinicals um, and you come out and you know everything. And fact of the matter is, you know, I kind of thought that too, going through undergrad and even like the start of grad school, you, you think this, this DPT in front of your name or behind your name, whatever is going to make you, you know, all that. And you're going to know everything. And the reality is PT school is a very generalistic thing. It kind of hits the, just the tip of the iceberg, um, of all different sectors of kind of the healthcare settings. And you can work with people of all different types, which is awesome. But it doesn't teach you everything. And I think, you know, for me, I was very much like you. I worked in um, strength and conditioning facilities. I worked as a personal trainer. Um, I did some group fitness and one-on-one. And I worked in, you know, an insurance-based clinic as a rehab aide as well, all through school. And I think the biggest thing I got from, you know, experience in school was experience is the thing that teaches you how to work with people. It teaches you how to be flexible. It teaches you how to communicate better. You learn from your mistakes and stuff, but you're really going to start to understand, you know, how people are, who they are, how they're going to react to what you say and even what you have them maybe do and stuff. Um, And there's a lot of kids in my PT class that kind of didn't come into school with as much experience and didn't get a ton. Um, Whereas there's plenty of coaches out there you know, much like you, Matt, that have a ton of experience that can rehab someone better than a PT can. So, uh, you know, it's my own personal opinion that you don't have to be a PT to do rehab. You don't have to be a PT to uh, help someone get better or get someone out of pain in most situations, actually. And that I think, you know, the experience, the, the self-training and stuff you kind of put yourself through and, you know, there's all kinds of courses out there you can take um, that can help kind of deepen your knowledge of things, but really it's experience and working with people and learning how to communicate. That's what it comes down to my man. Yeah. So, um, that's about it for now. Um, uh, Matt, do you have anything else you kind of want to wrap up with and say? No, man, I, I, you know, I appreciate you having me on. I think it's, uh, you know, anything that I can do to help support, give back, pay it forward. I mean, you know, feel free to reach out. If there's anything I can do, I mean, if you're someone who's kind of debating between, you know, being a strength coach or a PT or should I go to PT school or, you know, what should I do to apply all the type of things? I mean, you know, I've been through it. <laughs> I'm more than happy to, you know, give back any support I can. Yeah. So um, Matt's actually one of the first people I reached out to um, when I was thinking about starting barbell therapy. And he was the guy that was like, you know what, just because he had already started a brand and he was doing things and he wasn't a PT. I was like, you know, what is this guy doing that, you know, um, he can kind of help me with. So very fortunately I reached out to Matt and he was able to help me and kind of just told me, you know, stop thinking, just start doing stuff, get out there network, do all these things, you know, get experience. 
Um, and that's uh, put me in a very good place here today. So I want to thank you for that, Matt. And um, Matt, where can we find you on social media, uh, email, all that stuff? Yeah, I think the biggest thing in the, in the area that I'm extremely the most responsive and quickest to respond with is probably just Instagram. And, uh, you know, if you just my first name, my first name, then last name, then underscore, um, I'm pretty, you know, I put out content on a weekly basis. I, I like to just push out educational stuff, informative, happy to connect, ha- happy to hop on a call. I would say Instagram is the best place to reach me. And then obviously, if that turns into an email or a phone call, we can exchange stuff. But yeah, I, I, uh, I'm here to help and, you know, I look forward to it. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Matt. Um, it was great having you here and it was a good talk. And um, if anyone wants to reach out to me and, you know, hear out my opinions on if you should be a strength coach or a PT or whatnot, um, feel free to visit barbelltherapyandperformance.com or um, at barbell.therapy on Instagram or shoot me an email at brett at barbelltherapyandperformance.com. I really need to shorten that email up. But anyways, thanks for listening, everyone. Let me know if you have any questions or feel free to reach out to Matt as well. Thanks. So there you have it, guys. That ends this episode of the Barbell Therapy and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, and share the podcast so we can help others like yourselves learn more. If you have questions regarding the show, inquiries, or feedback on other topics and guests that you would like to hear, please visit our website at barbelltherapyandperformance.com or find us on Instagram at barbell.therapy, triad.strength, or shoot me an email directly at brett at barbelltherapyandperformance.com. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for tuning in.